The word of God from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Jesus teaches the crowd. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. chapter 5, the passage that was just read for us. If you don't have a copy, there's one under the seat in front of you, or one of the seats in front of you, and you can find Matthew 5 on page 858, I believe. For the past three weeks now, in our series, The Upside Down, or rather, Life in the Upside Down Kingdom, we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount from 40,000 feet, and we've danced all around it. But now it's time to actually dive in. So to do so, I want you to imagine with me the crowds that are seated in front of Jesus as he begins to preach. That crowd is full of Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and Herodians and Hellenists and Roman soldiers and maybe some non-Jewish folks and of course the average everyday Jewish man or woman. Now for you, those Titles and terms may mean very little, and we'll dive into those throughout this series, but I hope you hear in those titles a variety of different perspectives that these individuals bring to the sermon. Each of these individuals has a different conception of what the ideal kingdom would look like, what the good life would really be. And these priorities and these conceptions among these different groups of people are all at odds with one another. You have the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. You have the Zealots versus the Herodians and the Hellenists. And of course, you have the Roman soldiers who are against everybody. And then you have the average Joe in the crowd, or Joseph, just trying to survive. Just trying to make ends meet amidst a a crushing tax burden of Rome, trying not to anger the religious leaders by breaking some obscure tradition. Oh, and by the way, the average life expectancy of the individuals in the crowd, 35 years. Life it itself is short, hard, painful, and full of loss. But then comes this authoritative teacher, one who announces that the kingdom of God is near. Well, near to whom? 
who is Jesus going to side with? Is he going to side with the religious ritualists? Or maybe the rebels? Or maybe he's going to side with the cultural chameleons? Well, let's find out. Our big idea today is this. Jesus Christ, the King, calls you to embrace the abnormal norms of the upside-down kingdom. The abnormal norms. We don't use the word norm often, but we do use the word normal a lot. A norm is what is considered normal, what is usual, typical, standard. And in this sermon, Jesus' introduction is calling you to embrace norms that are very unusual, atypical, non-standard, abnormal. So let's investigate these abnormal norms together. So this week and next week, we're going to dive into this list. And we're going to see that these abnormal norms are covenantal, current, countercultural, and with satisfying conclusions. So let's get right into this. Number one, the abnormal norms of the upside-down kingdom are covenantal. Nine times in the passage that Denise just read for us, Jesus uses the word blessed or blessed. In fact, this list has become known as the Beatitudes because the Latin word for blessed is well, now I can't remember, beatus or something like that, comes, so you have beatitudes that comes from the Latin word for blessed. Blessed is a phrase you hear throughout the wisdom books of the scriptures in particular. Think about how the book of Psalms opens. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the godly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scorner, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Or Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. But the roots of this phrase, blessed, goes far deeper than merely the wisdom books of your Old Testament. It goes back to the covenant between Yahweh and Israel. That covenant, that Mosaic covenant, guaranteed that God would be their God. They would be blessed and experience his favor if they fulfilled their portion of the covenant obligations. They would be the kingdom of God. But they failed miserably over and over and over again. And so rather than experiencing the blessings of the covenant, they experienced the curses of the covenant that you can read about in Deuteronomy 28 and the following chapters. You see, that covenant as good as it was, could not change hearts. But all of these descriptions that we just heard read are at their core, heart-level descriptions. They evidence that someone is in the kingdom Jesus is announcing. And they evidence that in the kingdom Jesus is announcing, the very citizens' hearts have been transformed. He is announcing something new and better. This is not a list of requirements that you have to fulfill in order to get into the kingdom. Hear me clearly on this. These rather are descriptions of what citizens in the upside down kingdom 
by covenant are like. And why are they like this? Well, because their hearts have been changed, not merely their behavior. So these norms are covenantal. Second, the abnormal norms of the upside-down kingdom are current. Maybe you've only heard the kingdom of God described as something future. Or maybe you've only heard the kingdom of God described in some sort of modern-day utopia. But when Jesus preaches about the kingdom, he considers it to be in some way present, current, as well as future. And so the blessedness, the good life, is not merely future, blessed will be. No, it is current. Blessed are. Not blessed were, not blessed will be, but blessed are. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it like this. The Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. Why? Because the future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. And this is where the covenant comes back into play. If you are rightly related to God through the covenant that he has mediated through Jesus Christ, the covenant where you are qualified not because of what you've done, but you've been qualified because of what Jesus has done and because of your faith in what he's done, then you can never be more truly blessed than you are right now. That's good news. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how it feels, the blessedness of being in the kingdom of God is yours truly, right now, if you are related to God rightly through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And this pushes back against our hearts, doesn't it? Listen to Tom Wright again. In our world, still, most people think that Wonderful, wonderful news consists of success, wealth, long life, victory in battle. But Jesus is offering wonderful news for the humble, the poor, the mourners, the peacemakers. Every commercial that you may or may not see during the Super Bowl later today, will try to sell you the idea that your life is not as blessed, as whole, as rich, and as satisfying as it could be. In fact, wonderful news for you is right around the corner. If you buy this product, or drink this drink, or buy into this idea, you need something more. And marketing agencies have figured out how to pitch that wonderful news to you. That something more has been discovered. And it's available to you for a price. But then Jesus walks in. And he busts up that paradigm. Not blessed will be. Blessed are right now for those in his kingdom 
So the abnormal norms of the upside-down kingdom are covenantal, and they are current. Number three, they're also extremely countercultural. In what ways is the upside-down kingdom countercultural? Well, before we go further, let's make sure we're all on the same page when we use the word countercultural. When we talk about counterculture, we are not referring only to what Christians commonly think of as counter to the parts of culture that outrightly reject the God of the Bible. Those parts of culture that have no thought of God, no care for God, no time for God. Certainly, countercultural is counter to those facets of society. Yes, but we also mean countercultural in a way that's much closer to home and much more painful. Religious life and even churches can easily adopt a culture that is decidedly ungodly, that looks much like the world in its underlying assumptions, attitudes, priorities, power dynamics even while looking very unlike the world at the surface level. And Jesus' upside-down kingdom is countercultural to both, to the religious and to the irreligious. And let's just recognize Chattanooga is one of those cities in which it is very easy to be religiously lost but look good. One of those cities that Andrew Peterson describes as a southern mix of lost and found. But what we are saying is this, there are actually two ways of being lost. You can be irreligiously lost, running from God, pursuing your own course, and you can be religiously lost, sitting in a church, dressing up your pride and self-reliance in a cloak of Christianese. And religious activity. And friends, hear Jesus. Neither is the upside down kingdom of God. Neither godless culture nor cultural Christianity is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is here to announce something new. So, how does or rather, just how countercultural are these abnormal norms? Well, let's just begin where Jesus does. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Maybe you've heard the story of Joe Franklin. The Wall Street Journal article on the screen describes her this way. She talked like a millionaire, slept in a parking garage, and fooled nearly everybody. The story would be funny if it weren't true, and tragically so. Mrs. Franklin had promised $2 million to the University of Florida, and the university decided to throw a gala in her honor hosted in D.C. But 24 hours before the gala, the check bounced, and her story began to unravel. So the journalist writes this, The $2 million gift was an illusion one in a years-long string of fantasies concocted by Franklin, who tumbled from a life of apparent success to homelessness 
For years, she persuaded many around her that she was living the high life, even though she was homeless. Now, Joe Franklin's story is tragic, but in reality, we often do the same thing. Subtly masquerading as if inwardly, we have it all together. We perform and we posture in our jobs, in our networks, in our neighborhoods, and in conversation and on social media and in church as if we're living the high life, as if we've got it all figured out, as if inwardly we have all the resources we need, not just to cope, but to thrive, to conquer, to to meet every challenge. I'm crushing this life. Just look at my social media stream. We believe, or at least live as if we believe, that we have all the necessary resources to live the good life. But in reality, we are often too fearful to even stop and glance inwardly to see what is actually there. We are quite often uh, often the very opposite of poor in spirit. The poverty Jesus is speaking of here is not physical, but spiritual. Now it's true that Physical poverty can often lead one more easily to a recognition of spiritual poverty, but that is not always the case. Now, it's quite possible that there are multiple individuals in this room right now that I'm speaking to that you find yourself barely managing to walk through the doors of Sojourn week to week. Why? Because you look at the depth of your spiritual bankruptcy and you wonder if you are out of place in this room. And my response to that is, would to God that each one of us walked through the doors with that perspective. Would to God that each one of us walked through these doors each week in genuine poverty of spirit. How might God move among us if we truly believed and lived in the words that we sang not 20 minutes ago? I am one of those at the table not invited. And to all here at the feast, it's very plain. I can't hide behind etiquette and conversation, but Christ himself sent word and so I came. I'm one of those who is doomed to death in prison. I've done more evil things than I could say But Jesus broke inside and there unlocked my shackles and he set me free. He died, he took my place. I am one of those who is hard to love and ugly, self-righteous, critical religion was my stain. Then Jesus, then I came to Christ to wash and be discovered. Jesus came to me and covered up my shame. So though the world may number me among the foolish, I know that Jesus Christ is all I need to know. Jesus suffered and paid blood to buy the lowest of the low. Hallelujah. Amen. That's me. I'm one of those. Friends, we are all spiritual beggars. But the blessed one, enjoying the covenantal nature of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus puts no effort towards dressing up his or her bankruptcy. 
There is no ruse to dupe the family or the life group or the coworkers. This blessed one is the one who rewrites the kid's song to say, if you're bankrupt in your spirit, clap your hands, and then rises like she's giving a standing ovation. Not flippantly, but with every fiber of her being engaged. Sojourn, if we're not careful as a church, we can start projecting the idea that corporately we have the answers and the solutions in ourselves. Rather than living the reality that we lack the inner resources just like everybody else. The difference is this. We know the one with the resources. And we know him not by name, but by covenant. Not just by name, but by covenant. We know him by relationship through his son. We know him as father. And by his spirit, he has indwelt our spirits. So yes, we are poor in spirit, but we are connected to the one who is anything but bankrupt. The one who has all resources. So church, let's lean into our weakness this year. Not into our strength. Not into all the ways that we might posture and look really good to our community. Let's lean into our weakness. Say no, we are bankrupt. Bankrupt in spirit. But let me tell you about the one who is king. Let me tell you about the one who has died to save men and women like you and I. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But Jesus continues. Blessed are those who mourn. Sorrow is something we seek to avoid at all costs. So culture encourages us to drink ourselves drunk, to snort ourselves silly on drugs, entertain ourselves numb, do anything for an emotional or physical high, to busy ourselves to the point of exhaustion. That's some people's conception of the good life. Some of us are, in the words of Neil Postman, amusing ourselves to death. Some of us hate silence, for in it, we hear the voices and the trouble from our past dogging our steps. Could it be that your pursuit of productivity and busyness is actually less about what you're moving towards and more about what you want to run away from? What you want to forget? What you don't want to spend time mourning? But friend, hear that these enjoying the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, the ones who are currently and covenantally blessed by God, are the ones who mourn precisely because of the bankruptcy of their own souls. So friend, don't be afraid of mourning. Don't be afraid of sorrow. Lament the sin that seems unforgivable in your heart. Mourn the moral injustices in your story that represent the brokenness 
of our world that seem so grievous to bear. Can I speak personally to some of the men in this room? For some of us, that may mean embracing, or rather embracing this norm may mean that you need to get in touch with your emotions. And that's not a joke. You haven't mourned anything in years. And that's not healthy. Embracing this norm may look for you like having a conversation with your wife this afternoon in which you confess your readiness to embrace or your lack of readiness to embrace many other emotions and actions. Let me rephrase that. In which you confess your readiness to embrace many other emotions and actions except mourning over your sin and brokenness. Men blessed are those who mourn. From the one who was acquainted with sorrow. But whether you are male or female, embracing the norm of mourning may need to begin with a conversation with your spouse or someone else in this room this afternoon. A conversation in which you genuinely repent for any number of sinful attitudes, postures, actions. The norm of the upside down kingdom in a broken world full of broken people is mourning. We grieve war and violence and division and racism and abortion and gender confusion and greed and materialism and infertility and abuse and brokenness. Brokenness too multifaceted to name. So friends, isn't it only right that as we look at our own hearts and today's headlines, tears come to our eyes? Let's be honest, it's a whole lot more fun to divert ourselves, to distract ourselves, to binge watch something, to scroll mindlessly on social media, keep ourselves busy, pushing forward, moving ahead. Blessed are those who mourn. We are in the season of Lent. Sent out an email that began last Wednesday, it actually begins this Wednesday. Lent can become just another means by which individuals try to earn God's favor. That's just true. It can be. But Lent rightly understood and thoughtfully practiced can be a tool that cultivates this life of mourning and repentance. I'd encourage you to Pick up Will Walker's book, Journey to the Cross, to cultivate this sort of repentant faith in life. And I actually have a copy of another resource that I'd love to give away this morning. If this sounds something that you'd be interested in, I'm just going to leave it up on the front here when I'm done with it. You grab it on your way out. It's called O Sacred Head Now Wounded, a liturgy for daily worship from Pasha to Pentecost. This will take you through essentially what we do every Sunday in your personal devotions, cultivating repentance 
We also have some copies for avail- available for sale at the back if this one ends up grabbed and you were hoping to grab it. The repentance leads us back to Jesus. And so it brings great joy. So that Paul can paradoxically say that the citizens of Jesus' kingdom lives and serves others as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor but making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing everything. Let's think about this as a church. Even in a church culture, there can be an unhealthy triumphalism that leaves no room for grief, that offers no invitation to genuine repentance and seasons of lament. A sojourn by God's grace, we will continue to push against that triumphalist spirit by corporately confessing our sin together. And by lamenting brokenness together to form the habit in our lives. Why? Because it's the posture of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's an abnormal norm of the kingdom. So sojourn in our life groups and in private conversations, let's not move quickly past the tears in someone's eyes. Let's not quickly move past the catch in someone's throat. Let's refuse to accelerate towards cracking a joke in order to relieve our own discomfort in another sorrow. Let's be willing to sit in sorrow with our brothers and sisters and be willing to enter that sorrow ourselves in hope because there's good news. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus continues. Blessed are the humble All right, time for some more realism. Almost all of us read that and want to check out. There's little compelling about humility. In fact, the word translated humble would better be translated meek. And meekness even sounds like weakness. After all, we've been told in a thousand ways this week that only the strong survive. That only those willing to go out and get it, get it. That the powerful get things done and bring about change. Only those who can manipulate others get ahead and have a chance at protecting their rights. That only, that the only ones guaranteed not to get a piece of the good life are those who are meek. That's what our culture tells us. But what about in Jesus' kingdom? Well, Jesus invites us away from whatever cultural power centers are beckoning to us, and Jesus invites us towards a humility that lays down our rights and our lives. And in that submissive obedience to Jesus, we will undoubtedly face challenges. And this is where meekness meets us. What is meekness? There's a definition on the screen. Meekness is that disposition of spirit in which we accept the Father's dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than on their own strength to defend them against injustice. Thus, 
Meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict and that he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. Now we read a definition like that and to be quite honest, some of us still want to walk away. I'm not sure I really want to trust God to handle the injustices I receive. So is this complete reliance upon God to defend against injustice, is it even possible? Or is this just some ultra-ridiculous standard that we can never hope to achieve? Well, I guess we could ask Jesus, couldn't we? 1 Peter 2, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Blessed are the meek. And so he was. He was the embodiment of meekness, and he was blessed. He was meek to the point of death, and yet he was blessed. He did not state it. He was raised so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. The meek shall inherit the earth because Jesus will inherit the earth. And if Jesus is your representative, then what is true of him is true of you. So yes, friend, blessed are the meek. We'll pick up with the rest of these words of Jesus next week. But for now, let's transition to number four. The abnormal norms of the upside-down kingdom have satisfying conclusions. Satisfying conclusions. So each of these norms have an end result, a conclusion, a reason they are blessed states to live in. What about the poor in spirit? The resourceless who know it and embrace it by trusting themselves wholly to God. Well, wonderful news for them because theirs is the kingdom of God. They may have little by way of what the world values as resources, whether externally or internally. But that doesn't matter because they are heirs to a kingdom that will never pass away. Revelation 22, they will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But what about those who mourn? Those who are grieved at their own sinfulness or grieved through suffering, grieved because of the brokenness of the world around. Well, Jesus comes announcing wonderful news for them too. Blessed are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Talk about blessed. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death 
will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Talk about wonderful news. Friends, if you will entrust yourself to him, sin, brokenness, and all, Jesus promises to comfort you eternally. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. So what about the meek? Those who are taken advantage of, sidelined, overlooked, ignored, abused, culturally diminished, relegated to the outskirts of any modern society. Well, Jesus comes announcing wonderful news for them. For they shall inherit the earth. You see, it's not the loud and the proud. It's not the bully and the boastful. It's not the arrogant and aggressive who will inherit the earth. Despite what your culture tells you. It's not the technocrats and the business execs and the rich and famous and the politically savvy who will inherit the earth. It's not the dictators or the diplomats, the Democrats or the Republicans who will inherit the earth. No, it's the meek, those who entrust themselves to God, bearing up under whatever his providence, his gracious, kind, benevolent providence directs. Bearing up under it in worship, leading a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and honesty. So church, three questions for you to consider as we close. Number one, are you relating to God by covenant? His covenant with you based upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Or are you still trying to relate to God based upon your fill in the blank? Are you still trying to relate to him with something in your hands, something you bring to the table, your moral high ground, your resources, your qualifications? Jesus invites you to lay these down. You see, what we bring to this covenant is the fact that we need God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. Question number two, are you living as if the blessed life is yours right now in Christ? Or are you living as if the good life is something yet to be found, yet to be embraced when your circumstances are different? When A, B, C, or D has happened, or when you've secured this thing or that reality? Friend, if you are in Christ you have the good life. Regardless of how it feels in the moment. Feelings are temporary, but truth is permanent. If you are in Christ, you are in the incredible, wonderful, upside-down kingdom. So don't be afraid of the discomfort. Embrace it. Lean into it. Number three. Are you embracing the countercultural norms of the upside down kingdom? We were talking about these in life group this week, and 
we concluded that some of these beatitudes, some in this list, we internally resonate with. We, we kind of want to cheerlead. Yeah, that's right. Blessed are them. And then we read the next one and it's like, ooh, kind of painful. Which one of these today made you grimace? Why? Could it be that the Spirit right now in this moment is inviting you to enter that discomfort? As fearful as it may be, in order that you might be more closely conformed to these abnormal norms of the blessed life. Friend, Jesus the King calls you to embrace the abnormal norms of the upside down kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you, in your kindness, in your mercy, would you open our eyes individually to see our poverty of spirit so that we might be more so that we might mourn would you give us grace to embrace meekness not as weakness but as following in the footsteps of our lord jesus and for the one or two or five or 10 that have never yet placed their faith in jesus and are still attempting to relate to you in some way in their own effort father would you open their eyes to see the futility of that way of living life, that that can never enter the good life. Father, help them to see the wonderful news that you in Christ love them and have done everything necessary to bring them to yourself. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.